Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. You know, it's so good just to be thankful for him. So thankful for the things that he's done for us and is doing for us. You know, the Word of God says, let your, your requests be made known unto Him with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Father, we thank you. Yes, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. You know, there's just such an atmosphere of worship here this morning. And you know, we're just going to move into a different section of worship. You know, what we do in our Christian life should be centered around worship of God. In everything you do, Paul said, let it bring glory to God. You know, I remember Mark Hankins telling this story a long time ago, and he had this man who was wanting to quit smoking because he knew the effects that it was having on his, on his body. And he said, I just, I just can't seem to stop. And well, he, so he said, well, why don't you, every time you take a drag, say, I do this for the glory of God. <laughs> And then he, he realized that after like two or three, he's like, this isn't glorifying God. It's breaking down my body. And he said that was the easiest thing he ever had to stop doing in his life. When God is in it, everything's just effortless, whether it's letting go of things or walking into new things. His grace is to give us that effortless unforced rhythms of grace. And so we're continuing on in our series on grace this morning. And, uh, it really, we called this series, What's So Amazing About Grace, and I think a better title would be, What Isn't So Amazing About Grace. There's every aspect of it you look at is so God-empowering and God-fulfilling, it takes the pressure off of us. And God's intention was never to put pressure on us. He said, don't be anxious or worry for anything. And so we are not to get ourselves worked up and, oh, this is what I have to do. No, this is just... Father, I receive your grace. Right now, let's do that. Father, we receive your grace. We believe the grace we stand in. And we thank you for it. And just let him guide your steps and cause you how to learn how to, to go like that swan out on the pond. Just float. Doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in life, but uh, it's better to float through the problems rather than be caught up by the problems. I wanted to take us back to the beginning of this series. And where we started was in John, first, first John 1, 14. I'll get, I'll get my words wrapped up around here. Just a little bit drunk. I had to sit down a bit. I'm having a little problem standing. That's okay. I'll just lean here on this. Mimi knows what I'm talking about. She's glad that she's sitting down. But in John 1, 14, it says, The Word, which was Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. What are you full of now? You're full of Jesus. You realize that he makes up the majority of you now? You know, God said that he created everything through Jesus. And Jesus is the one that came and lived in you. The one who created the entire universe rolled himself up and shoved himself inside of you. There's more of him than there is of you in you. And he is full of grace and truth. 
what did we say that being full was? If this water bottle was full, we filled it up where we can't put another drop in without it flowing over. And there's no room for anything else. There's no room for anything else in God but His grace and His truth. And it says, and of His fullness, we have all. That's something good to meditate on. Mitch doesn't have more grace than Doug. We all have God's grace. It's filled us to the overflow. His fullness we have received. And it says, for the law was given through Moses, but we're not under the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus. And the reason why God sent grace and truth with Jesus was this verse here. For God so loved the world that he gave. The whole motivation behind grace and the motivation behind everything was how much he loves you, me, your neighbor, everyone. The whole motivation for grace was love. God's grace is an expression of his love. So when we think about God's grace as being unmerited and undeserved favor towards you, why does he give you what you don't deserve? Because he loves you. If we think of God's grace as his power and his ability working in and through us, why does he give us his power and ability? Because he loves us. It just makes things simple. When you say, well, why would God do that? Because a lot of people struggle. Well, why would God help me? Why would God provide for me? Why would God heal me? My question is, why wouldn't he? His entire motivation is love. And so the activating factor of grace is love. You know, we say that by faith we have access into the grace we stand, but uh, you realize that your faith doesn't work without love. And it's not talking about your love, it's talking about His love. If you want to set your faith on fire and see it working in areas in your life that you haven't before, meditate on His love. Not your love, because our love goes like this. Some days we're like, I love my kids. Other days I'm like, I'm going to strangle them. I'm, I don't know where Jessica is, but we were up t- here talking and Ace is like, Mom, 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 Mom. And she's like, stop Ace. And then she's like, <laughs> and I think every parent's been there. It's like, I love you. Like, I, I pick on my mom because she said it more than once. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. But our faith, it's really not ours. Galatians tells us that the faith, life we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. He's given us His faith to use. We don't even have to try and work it up to believe. It's something that He's implanted into you. Romans 12 tells us that we have all been given the measure of faith. And that measure of faith that God has given to us works by the love that God has shed abroad into our heart. It says that He has just poured it in. You have more ability to walk in God's love than you do in anything else, which means that you have ability to walk in faith and you have ability to believe in the grace that God has made you to stand in. I love the amplified version of this verse, so it says that faith is activated and energized and expressed and working through love. Activate your faith through the love of God. Why is it all based around around love? Because fear can produce obedience for a season, 
but then it ultimately leads to rebellion. Any society that has been subjugated by a dictator or by whatever throughout our history, it worked for a season until someone decided, I'm not going to do it anymore. And there's so many Christians that have been serving God out of their fear for him. What about the wrath? I don't want to end up in hell. What about this? God's going to make me sick. God's not any of those things. God doesn't need to use fear to get you to act. I've found the best way to get my kids to do anything is to love on them. Because only love can change a heart. And so whenever we talk about grace, we've been ta started talking about serving grace last week, God is not trying to manipulate you to do anything. God doesn't have to. When you stand in his love, you're like, God, what do you want me to do? I'm here to do it. How many people would do that for their spouse? It's just kind of like, there's nothing that I would not do for my wife. There's nothing that I would not do for my kids. There's nothing that I would not do for my husband. Love will motivate you to do things that you never even thought you would ever be willing to do. You know, there's always the young love romance where, you know, the, the man has his, his friends and they always out partying and everything like that. And then he gets a girl and like, I never see him anymore. It's like she's completely changed him. Yeah, love does that. How much more the ultimate, pure, never-ending, overwhelming love that God gives to us just transforms us from the inside out into people that we never thought we'd ever be. God's love does crazy things to us. Whew. So we were talking about saving, sanctifying, and strengthening grace, and they all describe a work of His grace in you. And it's great for God to do things in you, and He will continue to do things in you. He will continue to transform you. He will continue to strengthen. He will save you to the uttermost, is what the Scripture says. The word saved doesn't mean just, oh, believe in God and you'll go to heaven. It means that He'll provide. It means that He'll heal. It means that He'll rescue. It means that He'll go to the furthest lengths for you. God's saving grace didn't end at salvation or the point of salvation. It is something that you interact with every day. He will save you continually. And it's wonderful that that God does a work in us, but serving grace is not about the work he does in us. It really, it's a result of what he's done in us. Now it begins to shine through us. And so we said it describes the work God wants to do through. We defined it as it's God's power and ability to serve him and others with his, everyone say his, divinely imparted gifts and aptitudes. God looked at the total makeup of you and said, you know what, I think I can add some more. And he gave some of his ability and his gift. We can say that serving grace keeps us from being unproductive. And that was one of Paul's biggest gripes with the church at Thessalonica. He called them lazy sluggards. They wanted to just lay around and do nothing all the time. And he said, you know what, if you don't work, you don't eat. He said, when I came to you, I provided my own means, though you should have. You want to know who was providing for him? The church of Philippian, at Philippi. They were supporting Paul as he was going into Thessalonica. So Philippi and Thessalonica aren't that far away. It's really, I think it was like, a, if when we were in Thessalonica, it was like a 20-minute or a half an hour drive, something like that. So it's not like it's a far distance. And so he had one city that was like, yeah, whatever, you're on your own, Paul, and another city who was supporting him. And it wasn't because of anything that Paul had done. 
They were just following the love of God that he'd shed abroad in their hearts. And so grace keeps us from being unproductive. We could also say that it is an impartation of God's ability. So that's where when we talk about the definition of grace being his unmerited, his undeserved favor, that's a, gr- that's a great side. But it's also the power and the ability of God in you. That's where saving grace comes. He empowers you to do things you didn't know were possible. Saving grace can also be defined as love assisting. And so when we left off last week, we were going through 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, which says, as each one of us has, everyone say has, I got to ask you, is that present tense, future tense, or is it past tense? It's past tense. So God has given each one a gift. And so he says, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, we talked last week that when he says minister, he's not talking about your pastor or your priest or your evangelist or your missionary or your government worker. He's not talking about anything of those things. The word literally means one who executes the commands of another. So when he says minister your gift to one another, he's executing you a command. He's saying it's not just for you. It's for those around you. And that's one of the greatest revelations that we can take on, that what God has done in you is not just for you. You will find the ultimate fulfillment of what God has done as you allow him to work through you. And so in the New Living Translation, it says a little more modern. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great, I love this word, variety of spiritual gifts. God didn't need two Jordans. He needed a Jordan and a Mitch. Right? He needed all of us. He's already got a Jordan in the body of Christ. He's already got a Jesus in the body of Christ. What he needs is you. And so he's given you your distinct personalities, your quirks and your upbringings. You know, some people, when you just, how they were raised is like, you're just a little bit odd. You know, God's okay with that. He can take the odd and use it. Irena's like, yep, that's how it is. I know I'm that odd one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I heard you chatting. I just had to pick on you. But so he's all given us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. He says, use them well. So that means we can use them poorly, right? We're just following the words here. Use them well to serve one another. He didn't say to use it to serve yourself, though you always benefit with God. What he's talking about with serving grace is to serve one another. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And what the word amen literally means is, so be it. Paul spoke it, and he intended it to be walked out. So we were going through picking out little things out of these two verses, and we started with this. Every believer has a gift to use and a function to fulfill. If you feel like you don't have anything to contribute, the devil's been lying to you. That's all he knows how to do is lie. If God says you're useful and you have a purpose, God is more true than the devil ever will be. You have a gift and you have a function to fulfill. When we said believers are to use their gift to serve one another. So much throughout the New Testament, it's like pray for one another, lift up one another, forgive one another. And the emphasis is it's not all about me. 
You know, we, we sing the song, well, we don't sing it, but lots of other churches, it's all about you. But really, when we're singing, it's all about you, God, we're saying, it's really, it's all about me, because I'm right now thinking about how I'm going to get to the restaurant after we're done here. I'm trying to fill out my list for the week of all the things I need to done. Oh, wait, I came to worship you, right, God? It's not always about us. And the greatest thing we can learn is that by lifting others up, you get lifted up yourself. I love this quote from John Chrysostom. Maybe you've never heard of him because he died a long time ago. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople and he died in 407 AD. And he said this, A man's readiness and commitment are not enough if he does not enjoy help from above as well. Equally, help from above is no benefit to us unless there's also the commitment and a readiness on our part. So it's not just about you, and it's not just about God. It's about the two of us working together. You don't need help from heaven to do earthly things. You need help from heaven to do heavenly things on earth. So, chapter 9 is where we're going to go. And Jesus was having this conversation with his disciples. It has to do with this topic. What we're talking about is serving one another. Everyone say that? Serving one another. So that's where we're talking about here. I'll get my words going eventually. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 33, it says, They arrived at Capernaum and they settled in a house. And Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? So obviously, he had recognized something was going on as they were traveling to Capernaum. And they, but they didn't want to answer because they had been arguing which of them was the greatest. So it sounded good when they were on the road. But then when Jesus said, hey, what were you talking about? They're kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of ashamed to even admit that that's what we were talking about. So no one wanted to answer him. So he sat down and he called the 12 disciples over to him. He said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. So Jesus really lays it out simple as it can be. You want to be first place? Go ahead and serve everyone else around you. And it seems like a, a, an odd concept because we think if I focus on my things and what I need to get done, then my stuff will get done. But Jesus' response was, you know what? Focus on others and that will take care of itself. You know, I was listening to a podcast a few months ago of this CEO of a very large brand of uh, food chain. And she was talking about how she was C COO at KFC. And she failed miserably. The company's profits didn't go up under her operations. They went down and she got fired. And so she was kind of in a season in between jobs like, where did I go wrong? You know, up until this point, you know, she thought she was doing all right. And uh, she got this offer from another company that was the company was already failing. So she was kind of like, well, they're already messed up. I can't do anything worse for them. <laughs> but the, she became the CEO of this other company. And she went to God because she was a Christian lady. And she said, God, I messed up big time at KFC. What do I need to do different here in this one? And he told her in words about this, he said, everything you've done up until this point has always been about you. Why don't you look across the company and see who needs to be lifted up? Who can you serve? And she said, I felt really dumb in that moment because I was like, isn't that what Christianity is all about? Who can I serve? Who can I build up? Who can I lift up? And so she looked across the organization and yeah, there was a lot of mistakes going on, but they, she realized that the company 
had been trying to operate, how can we make more money for ourselves and cut out the franchisee? And the franchisee was very upset because of this. And so she realized the person who she needed to help and support and serve was the franchisees. And so she put all her focus in not building her part of the kingdom of that company. She decided, I'm going to, how can I make your day better? How can I make your day easier to all these franchisees and completely turn the company around and they're now worth billions and billions of dollars when they were about to go into insolvency when she took over because she chose not to focus on how can I make my bottom line better? How can I lift someone else up? So it seems like a simple concept. When I focus on others, I benefit. But Jesus' disciples didn't get it when he said here in Mark 9, you want to be first? Take the position of last. Because one chapter, literally one chapter, this is Mark 9.35. Well, here's Mark 10.35. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came up to him. Now, there's a little backstory beside this. Mark doesn't tell you this, but in Matthew you see it. They didn't come alone. It was their mother pushing this fact. And they said, teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. And he said, what is it? And we'll see what I can do. And they said, arrange it so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right hand and one the other at your left hand. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. <laughs> Are you capable of drinking the cup that I drink and being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Now, we have to look, think about this in context. When they think about the cup that Jesus is drinking, Jesus has had a pretty good life in the last three years that they've been with him. They've been to all the good parts. You know, Jesus got accused that he was just a drunkard because he was always at the party. And he's like, hey, might as well party while the bridegroom's here. And uh, when you think of it, the baptism, what happened at the baptism of Jesus? He went under the water. He came up and God yelled down from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is not the cup and not the baptism that Jesus is talking about. But John and James don't know that. <laughs> and so he said, sure, why not? You know? And Jesus said, come to think of it, you will drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized in my baptism. Now, what was Jesus about to go and do? He was about to lay down his life for all of mankind. He was about to give up his life. And it wasn't shortly, just a little bit after this, that James did the exact same thing. They went out and they were, they were spreading the gospel around Jerusalem and the area. And King Herod got a little upset and he chopped off James's head. And then he thought, hey, the people love that so much, get me Peter. And so he put Peter in prison and God miraculously saved Peter out of it. And John spent his whole life dodging the government. They tried to boil him in oil. And he came out completely fine. So they thought, well, what do we do about that? So they tried to stab him through with a spear and they couldn't pierce him. So they finally said, you know what? We need to get rid of this guy. Ship him out to the farthest island that you can think of. And so they put him on the Isle of Patmos and God didn't stop using him. There he got the book of Revelation and he wrote it down and then God freed him from the island. So both of them, James and John, came to understand that what Jesus was talking about was not the cup of the party, was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was about to sacrifice himself on behalf of others. And he says, but as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. So what did they ask? They asked, can we one be at your right and one be at your left? 
You want to know what the other arrangements were? Jesus said that we've been raised up and made to set together with him. We don't sit on his right. We don't sit on his left. We sit with him in his place of power in his place of authority, in his place of dominion. So though it seems like James and John were asking high, they weren't asking high enough. And so oftentimes that we don't even know what we're asking of God properly. And if we would listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll expand our vision. And when we begin to look and lift others up, God say, hey, you're willing to be used there? Why don't I let you let me use you here? And so Jesus got them all together. He settled things down and he says, you've observed how the godless rulers throw their weight around. And he said, when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. So I really like the wording of the Message Bible because it's so true. People change. You know, whenever you see people who've just won uh, the the lottery, they've won a large sum of money. They're all, all talking about how generous they're going to be and everything like that. And then a few years down the road, they're broke. They're bankrupt. They've lost all their friends. They've lost all their relationships. You know, I, I read the story of this one guy from a few years ago. He won $350 million. And on the broadcast, when they're giving them the check, he's like, yeah, I'm going to give 10% to my church and I'm going to be so good to all my friends. And they interviewed the, his pastor after that. And he's like, he's like, did you ever get any money? He's like, no, but I didn't expect anything. He didn't give when he had $1. Why would he give when he had $350 million? And it, the man completely destroyed his life. He ended up spending all his money on drugs and hookers. And $350 million to zero. So it's amazing what a little power and a little wealth will actually do to you. There is nothing wrong with power. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But you need to be centered in God. He will keep you in the right path. And so he said, it's, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And he says, that is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. So Jesus' words to them are, this is what I'm doing. You should do the same thing. Which shouldn't surprise us that this is part of serving grace that serving is part of his grace, because he said, be imitators of me as dear children. Watch me. Paul said this, watch me as I watch Christ. What did watching Christ do for Paul? He evangelized the known world. He set out and decided, I'm going to let my hands and my feet and my mouth be used for God. That doesn't always mean that we're giving up our jobs and moving to Africa, as I said last week. It means being available. God will use you when you make yourself available. Last week we ended with this. We were talking about how believers were to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And what we said a steward is, is someone who manages the affairs and business of someone else. The affairs and business of that other someone else is God's affairs and God's business. He's left us here to continue his kingdom right here on this earth. You know, so many people are waiting till heaven to partake of heaven when heaven has already come to earth. Jesus' prayer was, Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was a pre-cross prayer. We're not praying for heaven to come. Heaven is already here. Heaven lives inside of you. 
If you've been seated in heavenly places with Christ, in Christ Jesus, like Ephesians says, you are already sitting in heaven, and heaven is already sitting here. You don't have to look for miracles. Miracles already exist in you. You don't have to look for ability. Ability already look, lives inside of you. And so we said in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents where the, biz, the man who's going away on a trip, he gives his servants he one four, uh, four bag or five bag, five bags, two bag, four bags, and one bag. No, four bags, two bags, one bag. Get it right. Come on, Jordan. <laughs> and he gives them four bags and the man turns it into four more. The other one does two, turns it into two more to have four. And then the last one, he gave him one bag and he said, my master is an evil person. I'm just going to hide this money here in the ground. And when the master came back, the one guy brought what he, his increase, the other one had brought his increase, and he was like, hey, great, enter in and have a party with me. And the other one brought his one, and he put it before him. He says, you know, I was afraid of what you might do. And he says, you should have been afraid. <laughs> he said, you should have at least put my money in the bank and got a little interest off it. The story was not about money, but was about ability. It said that he had given to each one according to their ability. You are responsible for the ability God has given you, not your neighbor. You just need to do you. You need to do what you can do, when you can do it, and God will use you with it. There are two primary expressions of serving grace as we discover in 1 Peter 4.10 and 11, and that is speaking and serving. Verse 11 says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. And this is something that I have to remind myself all the time when I'm getting up, that I don't want my words to be the ones that shine forth. God, I want your words to be the ones that come through. I love what the book Paul said to the Corinthians says, you have been enriched with all utterance and all knowledge, and you come behind in no gift. The book of John says that you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. If you ever have an opportunity to speak to people, to share Jesus with them, let yourself know God wants to talk through you. He says if you're going to speak, speak as though God's the one speaking. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it says this in verse 7, but each one of us, grace was given, Right? You know, this is the whole concept of this whole series. Grace has been given to us. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 11 says, and he gave some apostles. Now, it's important to note out that he said some. So he's talking about that this is not what everybody is. This is there's going to be some this way. Some will be apostles, which literally just means sent ones. Some will be prophets. Those are people that, are, that God puts in the body of Christ to encourage them, to build them up, and to give them direction from the Holy Spirit. Not from them. It says that he gave some evangelists. Those are people who have, have the, the fire in their heart to go and win souls, like Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts. Some were pastors and some teachers. And he says the reason why we call these, the, these are the five-fold gifts is what they call them. And the reason why these gifts were given is for this purpose. I love that he tells us why and that we don't have to wonder why. Though when you look across the body of Christ, we're kind of like, they're being misused. Verse 12 says, they've been given for the equipping of the saints. Say this with me. For the work 
of the ministry. And so modern Christianity, the minister is the one who does the work and everyone else is the spectator, right? That's not how God has designed his church. He said the ministers were given to equip them for the work of the ministry. We, all of us, in, individually and corporately together, we do the work of the ministry. A church will never be as strong as its weakest person. We are here together to work together to do the work of God. And it says for the edifying of the body of Christ. You should come through these doors and leave happy when you leave. You should leave built up. If I don't to share the love of God with you and you leave depressed every day, find another church. Because the job of the minister is to build people up. You should be encouraged and strengthened and be told what you can do, not what God says you can't do. It says, until we all come to the unity of the faith. Guess what? There's not going to be perfect unity until we all go to heaven. So that means the work is going to continue every day until Jesus comes. And it says, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, there is no perfect one except Jesus, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We can't measure up to that, but we can strive for it. And the reason why he wants to, the ministers to build people up for the work of the ministry, to strengthen them, encourage them, verse 14 so that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I love that. The whole purpose, we're all supposed to grow, we're all supposed to do the work of the ministry, is so that you won't be deceived. Eventually, kids have to grow up. Wouldn't it look funny, a 70-year-old person in a diaper? you got to grow up so that you won't be deceived. When I hear about some of the things that people believe, I'm like, Bible, read it. We shouldn't be swayed. I'm here to teach you the truth. I'm, and, but you need to take what we're showing you and say, oh, wait, it is actually in the Bible. And believe it that way. That's the purpose of the ministry and the fivefold gifts. But verse 16 says, he makes the whole body, not just part of it, the whole body fit together perfectly. As each does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. If you want to help your neighbor grow, grow yourself. Show them an example. And it says, helps others grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God's love. So the first expression of serving grace that Peter emphasizes is, do you speak? Then do it as though God is speaking through you. And he showed parts that do the speaking side of things. But here in verse 11, he also says, do you have the gift of helping others? And 90% of most churches go, nope, nope, that's not me, not me. It says, do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. So helping and serving in the church takes just as much strength and ability from God as speaking does. 
Church is not about me. It's not about Christopher. There's so many different parts that make this church function. Today, we've got kids workers downstairs watching our kids. We had sound people working. We had slide people. We had greeters. It, you can find a place to serve because this church needs you. You know, you'd be surprised. I've been to a lot of different churches how that even just the person who's greeting you can change your whole experience of that day. You got a grumpy greeter? He didn't change anything. But someone meets you with the love of God? You know, I used to work at the Prayer and Healing Center when I lived in Oklahoma. And one of the things that we would do as ushers, not the speakers, not the worship team, but as ushers, we would stir ourselves up first And then when people would come through the door, we'd be like, hey, how's it going? You know what? Today is your day. Your miracle is here. And we would stir the people up. Why were we doing that? They came to healing school because they were about to die. If someone doesn't stir them up today, they're going to the grave. And it's amazing how just changing someone's attitude when they come in in a funk And showing a little love and a little encouragement can change how they receive from God that day. It's amazing. When we all do what we can do, what happens? And we have to do it with the strength that God supplies. You need just as much strength from God to be a greeter as I do to preach this message. We all draw from the same Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you a part of it. And he said, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. He says, first apostles. Now, he's not listing them in order of importance. He's just listing them off as these are some of your options. He says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have gifts of healing, those who help, can help others. You know, that is... As something we can do. It's an option. Those who have the gift of leadership, those who can speak in unknown languages. But then he says this, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak in unknown language? Do we have the ability to interpret unknown language? Of course not. So he answers that you are not going to be all of these things. But do you notice the one that is missing? That he didn't ask? The only one that's missing is those who can help. He didn't ask, can we all help? Because the answer is not no. (laughs) Sorry, I'm being a little funny because I'm still a little drunk. But it's true. He did not ask, can everyone help? Because the answer is yes. Now, the real question is, will you help? That's the most important part with serving grace. God will use you if you'll let him. It says we should earnestly desire the most, say it with me, helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way that is best of all. And then he takes an entire chapter and talks about the love of God. Because without the love of God, faith doesn't flow and you don't walk in grace. You don't walk in grace, you got no ability. And it's interesting that Paul had this understanding, no grace, no salvation. No grace, no ministry. And Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. 
And you realize that in Acts chapter 6, the first problem in the church wasn't a theology problem. It wasn't that Peter was up there preaching wrong doctrine. The first problem recorded in the book of Acts had to do with a bunch of widows getting missed, getting handed out food. And so the solution to that was the 12 apostles said, find us six people filled with the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They were not looking for people to preach. They were looking for people to serve tables. And they said, find six people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom because you need just as much as I do. And he said, let's commission these ones to serve the tables so that we can pray and preach and teach. Everyone has their function. If Peter was spending his time serving the tables, guess what? No one was teaching the new believers. So everyone has a function so that somebody else's function can function. Got enough functions in there for you? Pretty functional. When we fulfill our functions, it allows other people to function in their functions. If your heart stops pumping blood the rest of your body starts suffering. If your lungs aren't pumping oxygen, the rest of the body starts suffering. So what this message is about this morning is that I don't care if you serve in this church. You don't have to answer to me. We answer to God and the ability that he's given. If you want to serve, we have a place we can find for you. And it will help us. But we have lots of great help. The message, though, is not about that. It's about that God is looking across this earth. He's looking for people to stand in faith who say, God, use me. Let me be your hands. Let me be your feet. Let me be your mouthpiece. And I like to think about how much God has changed my life. Wouldn't I want to see that in other people's lives? And it takes each one of us to reach each one of them. I'll end with this set of verses. Here in John chapter 13, Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. And it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during this ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, uh, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had come, and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so he got up from the table, and he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around them. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Peter thought it was below Jesus. And he says, Jesus replied to him, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and wash my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Like, let's go all the way, God. 
And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. You disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I have washed, or, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. You know, Jesus is not talking about washing feet, just in case you're wondering. This is just something they did in that time because they would walk on dirty streets of dust. They would come in, and to be ceremonially clean for the, for the meal, they would have to wash off their feet. There'd be a basin. Usually there'd be a servant in a more well-to-do house that would do it for them. But Jesus was saying, you should serve one another. And he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. If it was good enough for Jesus, I won't speak for you, it's good enough for me. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You don't have to seek blessing. God does that automatically. You're his kid. He loves you. You want to step into greater blessings in your life? God has a whole segment of his grace that will allow to you to serve and build others up. So, Father, we thank you for the part that you have for each one of us. Father, I thank you for the part you have for me. Father, expand my vision and expand my heart to be able to serve like you would serve, to serve these people, to serve this community. Father, that you would just give us opportunities to be your hands and feet and that our hearts would be opened to listen to you and to follow to you. And so, Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet. Thank you for joining us. But most importantly, it takes each one of us to open up our hearts and receive Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's not about a church. It's not about whatever you've come from. It's about Jesus transforming your life. So right now, we'd like to pray with you. And we just say, Father... We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for raising him from the dead. And we receive him now. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we'd like you to get in touch with us so we can get resources in your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. And we just want to say, welcome to the family. You know, you guys are going to have an awesome week. You're going to have opportunities. Go ahead and just step out. God's the one that has to back you up not you. So Father, we thank you for it. We bless your name. Amen. Let's have some coffee and fellowship and have a great week.